Coming up next, The Bear on KCRW Berlin, the show that gives you a front row seat to an evening of great storytelling recorded live in Berlin. On today's show, stories of regret. If I could turn back time. We'll hear from a daughter who helps her mom with a big move, a mother who doubts her child, and a guy who really hates ABBA. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Each month, The Bear hosts an event where people are invited to share stories centered around a certain theme. And each month, we'll bring you some of our favorite stories from the evening. On today's program, stories about regret. If I could turn back time. What you would change if you could, and maybe what you wouldn't. The first story comes from The Bear's founder, Diane Nyman. Her story is called Day of Change. Well, it's 11.30 p.m., and I'm in my secret stash where I keep my uh, candy and gifts in emergency situations, and I have one. I'm trying to put together Please Forgive Me bag for Leon. He's five years old, and my son bit him today so hard that there was blood. So the next day at kindergarten, I'm giving Leon this little um, bag of goodies, profusely apologizing to his mother, and my son, Doreen, is just standing next to me, silent. And this is also what he does in another situation where he's on his bicycle that he imagines is a motorcycle. He is going so fast down the sidewalk, I can't keep up to say, wait! and he crashes into a little girl who's on one of those walk-run bikes. She's crying, and by the time I get to the scene, there's this tension of the father who's dressed in a very expensive-looking business suit, and I'm thinking, I hope he's not a lawyer. I'm American. And he's looking at my son who's not saying anything, and I can see the expression like, what a creepy kid. You can't even say sorry. And the more I plead with him, say sorry the quieter he is. And I think, why can't my son just say sorry like all the other kids? We live in an apartment building on the ground floor. And all the kids of the building play in the backyard. And they have to pass my door to get there. And I'm always on alert when I hear crying. (laughs) So one day I hear crying, a girl runs up the steps. She's in this beautiful dress with long ponytails. And the mother says, what happened? She says, Dorian threw mud at my dress and I'm all wet. And I'm just behind the door. I'm like, oh. Another day, Anton running by my door, crying, and his sister knocks on my door and says, uh, Dorian accidentally swung his baseball glove and hit Anton, and there's blood all over his face. And they say, hey, um, I didn't want to, it looked really bad. I didn't want the mother to see. I said, why don't you come in um, for an ice cream? I gave him a big one so it would take more time. And I cleaned up his face so it didn't look so bad. And it's always accidents. And when Dorian does have a friend to play with, he gets so excited he can't stop himself. So one day, Elias, also a neighbor, comes to visit us. And Dorian has a swing in there, swinging it back and forth. And he's so happy to have a friend here. And he hits it so hard that he hits Elias in the face. 
And the day ends with us sitting on the front steps as two ambulances come, one that the mother called and one that the father called. There is blood and there's silence from Dorian. And I asked him, and he's like, Mom, I see it happening, and I just can't stop myself. And I'm so angry every time it happens, and I just can't say sorry. And I think I really want to help him find his heart, the, the, the root of empathy. And I find this book, Heart Meditations for Kids, so I get it, and I read the book, and we start doing heart meditations at night, massages, talk sessions, everything. And I'm talking, and it's going in his ear, and there's no change. And I start to doubt my child that he will ever be a loving, empathetic kid. And I think, will he ever have friends? And I'm really in despair. Last week, Aunt Barbara calls me out of the blue. And of course, when I saw it, it's like, what did he do now? She's like, uh, what's up with Dorian? I said, what, well, what happened? And she said, he was acting really sweet, a little different. And then a couple hours later, I go to Oma Ruth. She's been giving me lectures for a long time how I have to be more strict, and he has to learn to be more respectful. And she says, Diane, uh, Dorian was here today, and uh, er war so lieb. Was ist los mit ihm? Er war so lieb mit mir. Schön. Ich habe Tränen in die Augen. <laughs> so that evening, I sit with Dorian, and uh, he's laying in bed. I say, hey, Dorian, um, I've noticed, and other people have noticed that you're different. What's up? And he sits up in bed, and he looks me in the eye and says, Mom, I've changed. And at that moment, I have so much regret for the moments where I doubted my child. I wish I could turn back time and know that in 10 years, it's going to be okay. He just needs a little bit more time to find his heart. And this little boy has inspired me so much, just with 10 years old, to remind us all that we can change. And by the way, he gave me permission to share the story with you tonight. I asked him. Thanks. That was the Bears founder, Diane Nyman, with her story, Day of Change. The next story on the theme of regret comes from David Morquant. Um, well, look, when, when thinking about the, the theme of regret, I quickly realized that there were um, two things that came to mind. Um, one that I've dealt with, and the other one, not so much. Um, the first one is centers around my little sister, who's been an ABBA fan for the longest amount of time I can remember. Uh, to the extent that all of our car trips were always soundtracked to the same ABBA compilation. And there's only so much um, ABBA I can listen to before I want to go out into the world and find Fernando and, and meet him and beat him to death with his own shoes. Um, yeah, I, I can't. And this all kind of came to a head when I was six years old. And um, 
In a moment of madness and rare lucidity, I undid my seatbelt and reached out, ejected the cassette tape, rolled my window down very, very quickly and jettisoned the tape out of the car. And this provoked in my sister what I can only refer to as a Dickensian hysteric and also provoked a bollocking from my mum afterwards. And, and the way I dealt with that regret was for her 16th birthday, rattled with guilt. I bought her the vinyl, the CD, and the cassette tape of Abba Gold, and, and basically told her how sorry I was. And I remember at the time basically telling my mum how deeply regretful I was for that moment, because it is to this day, I think, one of the cruelest things I've ever done. And um, I remember my mum telling me you know, that it was a good thing that I'd confronted that regret. But I, in that conversation, she very quickly told me also, some regrets are good to have, and some regrets, you know, don't need to be resolved. And that brings me on to my second regret, uh, a regret which I carry to this day uh, with a scar on my chest. Um, Basically, I was 23 years old, and um, skipping a few details, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And uh, yeah, basically, it put my life on hold for a very, very long time, and uh, put me in hospital for the best part of a year. And at the time, the doctor who was uh, taking care of me was basically saying, you, you might want to write a will because uh, your chances are slim. And uh, thankfully, everything went well, and the will became obsolete. But what I wasn't told at the time was that everything that had gone prior to that, so these thunderous headaches and this absolutely terrible, terrible pain, was nothing compared to what was going to come later on. So basically, uh, more tubes connected to me than the somebody who hadn't been disconnected from the matrix yet. And, um, and all this muscle re-education, chemotherapy, uh, and just also the valuable life lesson that I learned at that time, which was that the world goes on. Uh, people move on, friends, family, girlfriends, they all very naturally move on. And you're kind of left in a hospital bed looking at the same four walls for a very, very long time and dealing with pain. And that all came to a head at the time when also in a rare moment of lucidity and madness, uh, one evening I decided to rip out every single tube that was coming out of my body, so from, from my arms, my my my, my hands, my, my neck, my chest, and roll on the ground. And I hadn't thought things through because my legs at the time weren't uh, capable of uh, standing me in a vertical position. So I lay there on the ground just kind of feeling like this pulsing of blood just coming out of me, just going, oh, this is fun. Okay, well, this all, this is how it ends. Oh, nice one. And uh, thankfully, a, uh, a nurse who I'd gotten to know over the, the months um, was doing her shift and found me. And she got me back into bed, bandaged me up, 
plugged me back into to all the various things. And uh, I, I, I was in tears, and I, I tearfully just kind of asked her, just promise me you won't tell anyone what I've done, specifically not my mum. Uh, because my mum, my mum came every single day after work, and she kind of, she never gave up on me. And I hated, hated the fact, the idea that she could learn from someone else that I'd given up, and that in a moment that I just wanted to die. Um, and bless her, that nurse kept her promise. And to this day, I've never been able to tell my mum what this scar is about, uh, because I'd yanked the tube so far it left a mark. And, um, and I thought about confronting that regret and actually coming clean about it. And I realized over the years how how little I wanted to do that, purely because mums, as they tend to be, tend to be frustratingly right about most things. Um, and and that that's what she was referring to back then, uh, that certain regrets are useful and certain things don't need to be resolved and certain things, whether they're painful or anything else, big, small, whatever, just tend to... Um, yeah, tend to be okay, and it's all part of life to, to be able to just, yeah, basically just deal with regrets in a, in a useful way and in an unresolved way. Um, so, yeah, to this day, still haven't, still haven't told her, and I think that if I were to tell her and to come clean, it, the kind of life-affirming aspect of that scar would somehow be diminished in some shape, way, or form. And it might sound like an almighty cop-out in many ways, but it works. Some regrets are useful. And ABBA sucks to this day. Thank you. That was David Morquand with his story on regret. This is The Bear on KCRW Berlin, and tonight we're hearing storytellers in Berlin talk about regret. We'll hear next from Ava Gullner. Her story is called Albuquerque. Hello, everybody. My name is Ava. And when I heard about the topic for tonight, I thought, I don't do regret. Everything happens for a reason. And then when this word started spinning in my head, these, all these regrets started coming up. Things I did I shouldn't have done, things I did not do I should have done, etc. Like not buying this cheap apartment in Barcelona at the beginning of the 90s, in the middle of the center. God. I could be Airbnb queen by now. I think I, I wouldn't have to work. So I came up with quite a lot of things I regret. So this one is about when I started to study at the end of the 80s, quite some time ago. I was in an on and off relationship. Now you would say it was a toxic relationship. And it was a long distance relationship too. He didn't like the fact that I wanted to study and anyway, but I loved it. I studied applied languages, which is code for translation, English and German, uh, English and Spanish. And I especially liked the American department. They, the, the professor there was very committed, and she made us read stuff like, you know, um, 
Native American literature and, and, and black literature and all the invisible man and I was all about you know, Frederick Douglass and, and this sort of thing. So one day they announced that there would be a scholarship for half a year to go to the University of Albuquerque. Wow, the name alone for me, this is the, the, the single most alluring name of a city. And of course, being German, the first time you read that name, it's just like Yosemite, you, you, you don't read Albuquerque, you read Albuquerque. Just, you, you know, you would, you, would, you would say Yosemite, not Yosemite. And then when I found out it was actually Albuquerque, I pictured, you know, living at the end of the desert, no, at the end of the city, looking into the desert, into a purple sun, sunset, and, and, and having rattlesnake proof boots and, and, and talking with natives and, you know, this sort of thing. So I applied for the scholarship, of course. And things were going pretty well and, and there were a series of interviews and the last interview went really well, which for me is, is sensational because I, I don't like, you know, situations where I have to talk to a lot of people make me very nervous, which is why I'm standing here, actually. So this interview was the best interview of my life. I, I, I had this purple sunset, you know, in, in, as my vision, and I, I just knew this was for me, that was my thing. And when, at the end of the interview, one of the teachers said, well, this would be a good chance for you to lose your British accent. I was, yeah, this is mine, yes, I go, I go to Albuquerque. So that day I went back to Hanover, where my boyfriend waited for me, and he did not share my enthusiasm one bit, and he started arguing. You have, to, you have to give up your dorm room. It's too expensive. We won't see each other. And I, I didn't mind. I said, I, don't, I, I want to do it anyway. I'm going to do this. And then he said, he started threatening. He said, you know, if we don't see each other for half a year, you know, who knows what may happen. Okay. And then it, that, that didn't convince me either. So in the end, just, just before I went off to go back to my university dorm, he pulled out his last card. If you go to Albuquerque, it's over. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So I had like 500 kilometers to, to, uh, uh, to drive between Hanover and, and my university town. And it really made me think deep and hard. And I had a, I had, I had a heavy heart. I just recently found out I a Scorpio moon. And this means that we are possibly emotional, nostalgic, and we can't let go. So I was thinking and thinking, thinking, thinking of all the things we'd been through and all the whatever we'd done. So I came back to my dorm room. And I took out a piece of paper and wrote down, Dear American Department, with this, I withdraw my candidate for going to Albuquerque. And I made sure that they got it before they announced the candidates to go. So I never went to Albuquerque. And I really regret that. And I sometimes think about what would have become of my life if I'd gone to Albuquerque. But there's another thing to this. Actually, I think regret sometimes, I, I agree with David, I don't know where he is. I think sometimes regret is good for us because it's like a wake-up call. For me, that was a wake-up call. And the fact that I'd given up my dream for a jerk actually worked inside of me for not too long, actually, because um, half a year later, I got the chance to go to Barcelona, and I went there, and I split up with the <laughs> I split up with them. I stayed for 10 years. So I, we should not be too hard with ourselves when it comes to regret, because sometimes regret can be a wake-up call, and it can be your 
It can be your epiphany that makes you jump and take the leap to change your life. And it might not have been Albuquerque, but it was Barcelona, which is pretty good too. <laughs> so don't regret too much. Just take the leap of faith. Thank you very much. You've just heard Albuquerque from storyteller Ava Gunner. This is The Bear on KCRW Berlin. We'll be back with more stories on regret after these messages. In a small Swiss town, not so long ago, one woman was denied citizenship for being annoying. She's pain in the ass. She's made like a fuss, like a little loud bird. She's against tradition. Bringing veganism into Switzerland. She's anti-cowbell, anti-church bell. She will tell us how to live, and that's not okay. What do we give up to belong? It's a declaration of war. That's on the next Radio Lab. Tune into Radio Lab Sundays at 12 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. There's an art to the apology. Finding just the right sentiment so that the grieved party feels solace from your expression of true remorse. But there's also an understanding that for some things, sorry ain't good enough. On the next Snap Judgment, Aftermath. Storytelling with the beat. Do not miss it. Tune in to Snap Judgment Sunday afternoons at 1 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. On the last Saturday of every month, we'll bring you stories recorded live at Bear Storytelling events here in Berlin. These stories were recorded in May at Ballhaus Berlin in Mitte. The theme of the evening was regret, if I could turn back time. Anna Bolster has the next story. It's called Helping Mom. Helping Mom. Uh, as you can see, it relates to my family and regrets and family probably comes in quite often. So the story begins um, with my mother and me talking about her moving, not moving. Um, I lived in Berlin back that time. My mother was living in Frankfurt, a city where we had lived a couple of years but never really had ties. And she told me um, that most of her friends are starting to move where their children are. And her circle of friends in Frankfurt is, you know, fading. So I was doing the math, and my mother, you have to know, is not the person of action. Moving, not her favorite thing at all. So I saw, okay, she's 69. If I want her to move to Berlin, and she comes from Berlin, I should, you know, massage that in fast. So um, I got my parents, uh, my, my, my dad and my sister on the task force, and I said, like, okay, we have to help mom find a flat, because there was one thing, she loves her cat more dearly than she ever loved us kids, and that cat needs to go out. So a flat in Berlin that is affordable and um, has access to a garden. No problem. As you know, not at all. We managed, or let's say dad managed. Um, so we, we found my mother this wonderful flat. We all, you know, pulled together our strength. My sister and my father looked at the flat. They made sure she got it. Um, Kat, Kat's future was safe. Mom's future was safe. 
and um, they kind of managed to back out of the whole moving process. I don't know how they managed, but my mom asked me, could you help? And I'm like, sure. And when I said, who else is coming? She said like, well, your Aunt Bettina. And I'm like, and? Yeah, that's it. Okay. So I go from Berlin to Frankfurt in the train with my Aunt Bettina. And we are both like, okay, what's gonna expect us? Because my mom is not the pro in planning. And she managed to um, exceed our expectation. When we entered the flat in Frankfurt, which was a good 120 square meters, and her new flat was 50 square meters, we found that 120 square meters untouched, as she had lived in there for the past 10 years. And Bettina and I started doing the math. Okay, the movers are gonna come in three days. They had dropped off the boxes. They had an intimidating number of 100 boxes to fill. And um, my aunt and I were like, okay, we have, to, we have to split, we have to make a plan, and we have to organize. The problem is my mother also likes to keep control. So <laughs> it, is, it sounds funny, but it's really hard to unclutter because my mom loves to collect things as well and she can't throw anything away. So <laughs> my aunt and I were like, how, how are we gonna do this? So I, I thought I'm doing the easy thing. I'm gonna start with the kitchen. Man, it was Altbau, and you know those built-in cupboards you don't see? Magically, it was full of those. And I discovered cupboards and things I hadn't seen my entire life. While I was doing that, uh, I just heard Bettina getting instructions from my mom. Could you iron the um, tissues, like really like cotton tissues she inherited from God knows which aren't? Could you iron them and put them in a box? Why iron them before putting them in a box? We don't know, but my aunt Bettina, who's good-hearted and sweet, ended up doing that for a day. <laughs> so you can see that this, this word regret comes up between the two of us, you know? Uh, at some point, my mom is not there and I'm like, Oh man, Bettina, what on earth were we thinking? Why did we say yes? But on the other hand, we felt bad because we couldn't leave mom hanging there. So you can imagine how the story goes, you know. Second day comes, one more day until the movers come. We are starting to sweat and get desperate and um, never getting nervous. My mom, I think at that point, started to realize that we are getting nervous and she probably should get nervous. Um, so, naturally, she was tired because she hadn't slept, uh, slept that night, and um, she took a nap. And Bettina and I discovered the vitrina. <laughs> in the vitrina, or in front of the vitrina, was a box with clutter. And I had managed uh, to find out from my mother that these are things she loves but does not necessarily consider important. So when my mom took the nap, 
Bettina and I started to look into this box. We found a very, very, very ugly, um, I don't even how, know how to describe it, like Moroccan porcelain doll, which was the cover of a basket which had a form that does not fulfill a purpose. <laughs> Next to it were eight tiny porcelain cats. As I said, my mom loves cats, so they were very kitschy. So Bettina and I had to exchange a quick look, and we're like, right. So we took this box, we went outside and through the courtyard, we emptied the, the trash, we put it at the very bottom, we covered it up to extinguish our traces, and thought, in this whole mess, mom is never going to realize. And she didn't. She moved to Berlin. We managed to somehow get it all magically into the boxes. And in Berlin, four months later, I get a call in and she's like, you know, I had a box with a Moroccan doll on a basket and eight kittens made of porcelain. Do you know where it went? And I, no. <laughs> yeah, I called Bettina as well. She told me the same thing. She said, it must have vanished. And we're like, mm-hmm. And then we were invited for the first time at my mom's, and we came into the apartment and went into the cellar, all cluttered. And I said, Bettina, you know, I have one regret. We didn't toss more. And she's like, I feel the same, Anna. I feel the same. That was Helping Mom from storyteller Anna Bolster. The next storyteller this evening is Stephanie Lau. Her story is called Eerie. So I'm standing at the perfect spot where the water is coming in and it's just barely running over my feet, so like ankle deep. And it's the perfect spot to look for what I seek. But for some reason, I can't find it. I keep looking and looking and looking still, and then finally I see it a few feet ahead. And it catches the light really quickly and then disappears. And I have a feeling it's still there, so I run quickly towards the spot, and I crouch down to pick it up, and I scoop up a handful of sand and water, rocks, and then in the palm of my hand, I pick out this tiny piece of sea glass. And my excited five-year-old self runs back to where my grandmother is standing, and I say, Grandma, look. And she says, let's see it, honey. So I hand it over to her, and she holds it up to the light, and it has this really beautiful green color. The edges are kind of smooth, and it's not any kind of specific shape. But I can tell she's really proud of me for finding this. And she says, this is so beautiful. Let's add it to our jar. This is one of the many memories that I hold really closely to my heart um, when I think about my grandmother and my childhood growing up. She lived in upstate New York 
and every summer I'd go there with my family, and it would take nine hours or so to drive there, but I'd always feel this excitement whenever I saw her. And a lot of the things we do would be kind of the same every summer, so we'd go mini golfing, we'd pick fresh raspberries to make jam, we'd play ping pong in her basement, try to look for fireflies at night at the end of the street, and of course go to Lake Erie to search for sea glass. I visited her pretty much every summer up until I went to college, and that same little kid excitement stayed with me up until I was 18 or so. And when I left for college, I obviously wasn't able to go visit her as much, but I'd still call her from time to time and tell her what I was doing, and she was always really excited to, to hear about everything. And I could always picture her face in my mind. She had this really friendly smile, lots of wrinkles indicating a life well lived and this like wispy white hair. She'd always kind of misplace her glasses and then ask me where they were. And I would have to tell her, Grandma, they're on your head. Eventually, I graduated from college and I moved abroad to China and Hong Kong. So I was away from home for a while and time kind of passed and I guess I missed out on a lot of events and especially seeing her age. So by the time I got back, she was no longer living in upstate New York, but had moved to a facilitated living center in Michigan, closer to where my aunt lived. So it was really far away. Um, and I ended up visiting her again when I came home, and at this point I was about 25. And I remember walking into the center and it had this really weird vibe, like it just seemed kind of sad and gray and I could hear people playing bingo and I just saw screens with like golf playing, something kind of indescribable, like, indiscreet and boring. And I remember looking at a, a schedule on the wall to get an idea of what her day could be like. And it said dinner was at 4 p.m. And for some reason, I just imagined that they served some kind of sad dessert, like applesauce from a jar, or like that weird jello that has whipped cream on it for dessert. Uh, and it just felt really depressing. So anyway, I went to her room and knocked on the door and it took her a while to get there and she finally answered and she opened it and, and said, hi, honey. And I immediately just felt like I was five again. And I realized how much I missed her. So, this was the last time I saw her, and it 
just felt really difficult to see her in this way. She had aged so much, and I, I didn't like being with her in that moment because it just didn't feel the same. And I ended up leaving again and moving abroad, and uh, my mom called to tell me that she had passed away and I wouldn't be able to make the funeral, but she said that when you come home, we can have some kind of memorial service for her, just something with my family. And I came home and we never did. And I think partially it's because everyone in my family at that point had moved on in some regard. We all have jobs and busy lives and things that we need to take care of. But for some reason, I thought that's kind of, kind of an excuse. And I think a lot of people do this. You know, we all try and make ourselves busy in order to avoid things. Uh, and regret is one of them. And I think that's one of the biggest regrets in, in my life is never having honored her. And yeah, that's it. That was Eerie from storyteller Stephanie Lau. We're taking a short break. When we come back, we'll hear our final story for this evening on the theme of regret. If you've ever gone on a vacation and gotten a little swept up in buying the perfect souvenir, well, our next storyteller knows the feeling. Stay tuned. This week in This American Life, who hasn't this happened to? A woman freezes her dead father, hoping that hundreds of years from now he'll be unfrozen and brought back to life. And she donates the capsule that has his body inside of it to a cryonics organization, run by this guy. That's probably the only thing that I am somewhat... um ashamed about that I didn't tell her that I was going to put three three more people in there this week. Catch This American Life every Sunday at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. The Democrats held their first debates this week, and most of the candidates did great. Of course, with so many, they only had time to say their own names, but most of them got it right. I'm Peter Sagal. Join us as we ask novelist Jennifer Weiner to write a better ending for this whole thing on this week's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, each Sunday morning at 9, right here on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. You're listening to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. On this month's show, we're hearing stories about regret. The last storyteller we'll hear from tonight is Renko Pals. His story is called Baby Alpaca. So when I look back at my life, there are many things I could have done differently. I've been a bully. I've been bullied. I've lied. I've cheated. But then again... I mostly lied to myself and cheated on myself. And after hearing all these deeply moving stories today, I thought, you know what, maybe I could take it a bit lighter and talk about what the idiot that I really am uh, to end maybe on a bit more a lighter note. 
So I want to take you back to just a few uh, months ago when I was traveling uh, with my now fiance. Uh, oh, yeah, thank you. Wow, already an applause, hurrah. Um, yeah, uh, we were hiking uh, through the Andes in Peru uh, up to Machu Picchu, which is very lovely. I can very much recommend it. And what is so lovely about uh, Peru is that it's uh, colorful and it's sunny there. Um, I don't know uh, if you've ever been to Latin America, but it's very different than Berlin. It's not so gray, and uh, it's I, I, I adore it so much. And one... One day we were walking in a village preparing for a four-day hike up to Machu Picchu. And um, everywhere you go, you see these very tiny, uh, old, wrinkly ladies with, uh, who are looking very happy and very, very colorful with ponchos and big hats. And uh, they drag around a, a llama or a baby uh, or an alpaca. So, yeah, these... Uh, these animals, and uh, they do this to keep like the, the tradition alive, obviously, for the tourists. They're basically uh, prostituting out these uh, llamas, so, they, so you can take a picture and you say like, oh, no, I've been to Peru. And of course I didn't do that. I, I thought this was wrong. You cannot do it. This is just abuse of this animal. Uh, but I, I have to admit, I kind of regret it because I saw friends, or I met friends, and they showed me their picture, and it looks really nice and colorful. And you don't need too much of an Instagram filter when you have those pictures. But okay. And then it gets even better because you have... Uh, uh, these old ladies with all their colorful things and their trinkets that they're selling. Uh, and instead of a llama, they have a baby alpaca. Now, if you, if you like puppies, if you like uh, tiny kittens, then you will love, love, love baby alpacas. They are soft. They are cute and adorable. And you can take pictures with them. Oh, but I didn't because I thought, this is animal abuse. You cannot do this. And do I regret it? Well, maybe a bit, eh? maybe a bit, but uh, I, I didn't do that. Um, now, uh, what I did do uh, is, um, no, sorry, I didn't also didn't buy anything there, because uh, what they do, uh, besides uh, pimping out those baby alpacas, they also uh, sell things. Uh, they do handcraft, and they sell, like, oh, you want to buy a baby alpaca wool hat, for example, and it's just like some colorful hat that says Peru. And uh, I said, no, it cannot be. It cannot be that you've made this uh, hat because there's so many tourists that are going to Machu Picchu. There cannot be enough baby alpacas to shave to create all these hats for all these tourists. Cannot be. It's impossible. Uh, so I didn't buy um, any of these, um, yeah, what I thought were machine-made um, Peruvian hats, <laughs> even though they're very colorful and would look great in this gray Berlin. Um, one day we took... Um, we went uh, into the mountains, into the Andes. We were visiting a coffee uh, plantage or whatever where they make coffee. And uh, there was like an old man. He was like peeling coffee beans with these machines. And they were showing us how they make these uh, authentic ho, 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 um, baby alpaca um, uh, things. So they would show us how they shaved off the wool and then how they, they washed it with like a plant and then they mash it up and it foams and then it's clean and then they take like seeds or plants and then they mash it and it becomes a color and they mash it with the wool and then it has an authentic color and then there's this old lady with her poncho and her big hat, a very colorful, and she's like weaving and best. And you think like, okay, 
this is a real, authentic baby alpaca wool thing. So um, I saw a sweater. They tried to sell me a sweater, and I thought, oh, should I buy a real baby alpaca? Oh, I'm tired. A baby alpaca a wool a sweater. I thought, that's going to be pretty tough. I might regret <laughs> this later because uh, you can probably not put this, this in the laundry. You probably have to wash this all by hand, right? But yeah. So like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? And it had like this real cool print with like llamas on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, so my uh, then still boyfriend, uh, but now fiance, said, oh, you just do it. So we put uh, pesos on the table. And then I got finally my... Um, what I thought was a baby uh, alpaca sweater. So I wore it, I was like, oh yeah, great, it's so happy, it's so traditional and authentic. And then when, once we came back home to Berlin, I had to wash it. I thought, oh, should I really hand wash this? Uh, because all my friends were saying, maybe, maybe this is not really authentic baby alpaca. And I thought, how it cannot be possible that these ladies in Peru that did this whole show for us were like cheating on, on a tourist. <laughs> like, me, how, how, how could they? It even had like llamas on it. It's literally, it cannot be. That's what did we ever do to them besides the Spanish people in trading? Um, so, yeah, a lot maybe. <laughs> so, I googled how to find out if your sweater is real baby alpaca wool knitted by. A Peruvian, and there's one thing you can do. So uh, if you have a sweater and you're wondering if it is really uh, baby alpaca or llama or any natural fiber, what you can do is you can light it on fire. So, no, it's true, wait, 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 wait. So if you light it, like put fire uh, to, the, to the fiber and it catches fire, that means it's a poly blend and it will just, yeah, it's gone, but that's maybe for the best. Um, because who wants polyester? Uh, and if it just carries out. So I thought, okay, let's find out. I will either uh, regret uh, buying this uh, sweater or regret uh, burning it. And as you can see, I'm not wearing the sweater right now. That was Baby Alpaca from Renko Powell's Our Final Storyteller This Evening. These true personal stories were recorded live at The Bear on May 16th at Ballhaus Berlin in Mitte. The Bear was created by Diane Nyman and inspired by The Moth. You heard live music in this evening's show from Eli Chester. Our show's theme is I Need Love, remixed by DJ Spector. If you would like to tell a story or attend the next Bear storytelling event, go to kcrwberlin.com slash thebear for more information. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in.